The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. And he came and took her by the hand and raised her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door at sundown. But he would not let the demons speak. And he healed many who were sick with many various diseases. And he cast out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and the others who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, let us go over to the next towns that I may preach there. For this is the reason that I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that all Holy Scripture is written <clears throat> for our learning. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed, changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. My memory was a bit off today because my brain is a little bit frozen. I was messing up the reading a little bit because you've got to forgive me. There's a little bit of icicles up in the brain. It is cold outside. One of my spiritual gifts is stating the obvious. It is cold outside. Looking at Mark chapter 1 this morning, if you've got your pew Bibles or your own Bibles or your iPhones with you, the question in Mark chapter 1, I think, asks of us as Christians is, what are we to do in the face of so much sickness and suffering? What are we to do in the face of so much sickness and suffering. You know, here at Christchurch, uh, the clergy have an app on our phones, and the app is very secure. It's one of those apps that is super encrypted, and no one, not even Google, can read it to keep it all private and confidential because we use the app to talk about and share confidentially among the clergy. No one reads this app but us about all the sickness and all the suffering that is going on in the life of the parish. And so we can share that together and know how to respond, know how to pray. So we've got that app. And I'll tell you, that app that is confidential just to us, so there's only like 11 of us ever pouring in, that app buzzes all the time. There is so much suffering and sickness, even just within our own community let alone once we go out the doors and enter into our workplaces 
and our schools and our neighborhoods. There is so much sickness and suffering in this world. What can we do in the face of it? Well, Mark 1 tells us there's actually plenty we can do. Here's what Mark 1 tells us. In the face of a world full of suffering and sickness, we can call upon Jesus. We can call upon Jesus. When we are facing the suffering and hurting and brokenness in this world, we can call upon Jesus. And here's what's even better. It's not just that we can call upon Jesus. We can call upon Jesus in the craziest of circumstances. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the challenge is, we, in the face of suffering and sickness, we can call upon Jesus. And you may say, well, that sounds nice. What good does it do? Here's the good that it does. We can call upon Jesus in every circumstance, as crazy as it may be, and we can do it with confidence. We can do it with confidence because we know that Jesus is at work. We know that he's bringing about his kingdom. We can pray with confidence. Let me unpack this. First, we need to recognize in the face of suffering and sickness, we can call upon Jesus. Look at our text, right? Verse 30 Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. What was the disciples' response? They immediately told Jesus about her. And then notice, after that, that evening it says, verse 32, that they brought to Jesus all those who were sick and oppressed. And the whole city showed up at the door. There was that much need of healing in that city. The whole city showed up at the door. We're not surprised. We see how much brokenness there is in this world. My question for you is, why would they so quickly go to Jesus? It's because what they saw happen in the synagogue. Yes, in the synagogue. What they had seen Jesus do had transformed their understanding of what we do in the face of suffering. Because verse 29 of our text says, he immediately left the synagogue. And you say, well, what happened in the synagogue? Well, you got to go back to verse 21. He's in Capernaum. He goes into the synagogue. He preaches his sermon. And what happens in the middle of church that day? Well, guess what? A man with a demon starts talking out loud. Jesus, with a word, excises the demon. The man is set free and everyone stands in absolute shock and wonder at the authority of Jesus. The disciples saw this. They saw this with their very eyes. They saw Jesus transform a life just by showing up. And it's all because what Jesus was doing. Jesus was announcing the kingdom. What he was doing at Capernaum Synagogue that morning is what he's doing even today. Jesus is always announcing, proclaiming the kingdom, both with word and his presence. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, he says. What he's announcing is that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. The kingdom, which is putting the world back together, is advancing. And wherever the kingdom goes, new life, transformation, healing, wholeness, forgiveness, freedom begins to take place. That's what the kingdom does. But you notice, Jesus can't even walk in the room without the kingdom breaking out. He can't open his mouth without the kingdom breaking out. Wherever Jesus goes, into every human life, into every home, into every community, where he enters, he brings the kingdom. And the kingdom transforms everything. It's like we hear 
from Mr. Beaver and Narnia. Wrongs shall be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows shall know no more. When he bears his teeth, winter knows its death. We really need that today. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. In other words, wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom comes with him. And so they bring all the brokenness, all the challenges, all the pain to Jesus. Jesus, you're the one that brings the kingdom, so we bring them to you. And when Jesus speaks over them, the kingdom breaks out in their lives. See, this is the confidence the disciples have to bring people to Jesus, to bring the challenges they're facing to Jesus, call upon Jesus in the face of pain, in the face of suffering. We believe that Jesus is putting the world to right. The question is, do we pray like we believe that? Do we pray like we believe he's bringing the kingdom in? When we face a problem, do we bring it to Jesus? Do we call upon the name of Jesus? You know, I'll tell you, for the number of years that our daughter was sick, seven years, chronically sick, in and out of a children's hospital in Ottawa for seven years, you know, we received, and this is not a criticism of the community we are in, but it just, it's just a fact. It happens so often in Christian community. We heard a whole lot of sympathy, and we heard a whole lot of solutions from friends, like, oh, which doctor is she visiting? You know, if you tried this specialization, it might be gluten. It could be allergies. Did you see the special that Dr. Oz had this week? I mean, all these solutions from the Christian community. There was a lot of sympathy, a lot of solutions. There was not a lot of supplication. There just wasn't a lot of prayer. Shouldn't it be the other way around for us? From the words of Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. You know, it's the reason why, you've heard me say this before, I often I have encouraged people to say, you know, when someone brings a particular concern to you, a challenge, a bad diagnosis, whatever's going on in their life, I always say to people, don't say you'll pray, just pray. I mean, it, it, I know many of us come out of traditions where we're not as comfortable praying out loud for others. It's a bit scary. It doesn't have to be. Our prayers don't have to be beautiful. They don't have to be brilliant. They simply need to bring the problem to Jesus. That's all we're doing. We're taking a problem. We're bringing it to Jesus because he's the one who brings in the kingdom. He's the one who brings the healing. Right? I've seen this actually breaking out more and more. As I've said this more and more, some of you are beginning to do this with me when people will text me, uh, they'll say, how are you doing? And I might raise a prayer concern or something in my life. And then I'll get a prayer response back. I'm like, oh, a prayer. You know, it, it's great to say to people, I'll pray for you. We always wonder if you're actually going to. Just pray. Type a little prayer in a text. Say it over the phone. Say it to a friend in the back. I remember uh, a number of years ago, a guy coming up to me on a Sunday morning and I had raised some concern during the service about something going on in my life. I don't remember what it was, but something to pray for. And he came up to me, he was a brand new Christian. Like we're talking three or four weeks. And he came up to me and he put his hand on my head and said, can I pray for you? And I said, yes. And he just prayed. And it was a very elementary, Jesus, you know Paul and you know what he's going through. Just bless him and heal him, Jesus, amen. Right, not eloquent, but beautiful, powerful. And I said to him, I said, you're a brand new Christian. He goes, well, 
I've just been looking around. That seems to be what people do here. We pray for one another. See, we can call upon Jesus in the midst of suffering and sickness because this is the God who we're told in Exodus chapter three says over us, surely I have seen the afflictions of my people and I've heard their cry and I know their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them. This is our God. Call upon him. Immediately, they brought the need of this sick mother-in-law to Jesus. They brought the whole town to him. Would we bring the concerns of our world to Jesus? But we can do it in every circumstance too. Here's what's encouraging. Is they're doing this in Galilee. I mean, they're in Capernaum, which is Galilee. He's at verse 39, we're told, going through all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And you got to say, what's the big deal with Galilee? Well, here's the big deal with Galilee. It's the last place on earth you'd expect Jesus to be doing ministry. Because Galilee was so corrupt. Galilee was so broken. It was a Jewish region, but they got the nickname for it, Galilee of the Gentiles. I mean, imagine a Jewish region called Galilee of the Gentiles. So corrupt, so pagan. God can't work there. God can't do anything in Galilee. Remember last week's text when Nathaniel says in John 1, what good can come from Nazareth in Galilee? And yet here's Jesus spending the majority of his earthly ministry bringing the kingdom to bear in Galilee of the Gentiles. And so he does with you and I. You know, if we're honest, friends, the challenge we face again and again is we can begin to think, practically, we don't say that out loud, but we begin to think there's some problems that are too big for God like God couldn't go there, it's too much for God, that we all have our Galilee of the Gentiles in our lives, things that are just too much for God in our minds. We never articulate that, but we functionally believe that because we don't bring those things to God. God's not gonna fix that. The problem is we forget the fact that grace goes to places unexpected, places unearned, places undeserved. That's what grace means. So God's kingdom breaks in, not because we're ready for it, but because the kingdom is ready for us. What is Galilee of the Gentiles for you? What are you not praying for? You know, a number of years ago, when Monica and I were in seminary, that was many years ago, actually, um, at Regent College, in our last year at Regent, we were asked to, uh, all the senior students had to host a small group. So we were like the leaders of a small group for first-year students. And so we were, you know, we we're just getting ready to graduate and we had this group of students and in this small group, this first year girl was there. And I mean, there's no better way of saying it. She was the worst human being I'd ever met on, on the planet. I mean, she just was awful. I mean, and I'm being really nice actually this morning, but she was awful. I mean, she was judgmental and mean, mean, mean. I mean, she was pretty much convinced the whole group, including Monica and I, were not Christians. She was so legalistic. I mean, she took the fun out of fundamentalism. I mean, she was just the absolute worst. I just triggered some of you, I know. But here's the problem. She's in the group. We're about three weeks in, and I said to Monica, I said, I'm done. I said, I'm going to call the dean of students, and we're going to put her in some other group. There must be some remedial group for people like her, because I am not set up to handle her. She's ruining the group dynamics. And what did Monica say? She said... No, we're going to pray for her. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and we did, as hard as it was. And here's the thing. Two years later, 
So we graduated, we came back to visit Regent College, our seminary, walked up, who's at the front door? She was at the front door just walking out, happening right there. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> she runs up to us, wraps her arms around both of us, hugging us both and says, I do not know how you could put up with me back then. And then she turned to her friend and said, these were my small group leaders who loved me when I was in my very worst place. Friends, this is the power of the gospel, that it moves into the most unexpected, undeserving places. What is Galilee for the Gentiles for you? What are you not praying about? What are you not calling upon Jesus about in this your life, your friends, your family, and this your world? Because he works in every circumstance, even the craziest ones. You know, as the great philosopher and hockey player Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So what shots are you not taking? You know, think of Jeremiah chapter 32. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? What can we do in the face of so much suffering and sickness? We can do lots. We can call upon Jesus who brings in the kingdom. We can do that in the craziest of circumstances and we can do it with confidence. And here's what I mean. See, one of the challenges of our confidence in praying for people isn't just opening up our mouths and worrying that we're gonna sound foolish. The other side of it is actually a more deeper theological concern. The reason we don't have much confidence in praying in the face of real tragedy and suffering and sin and sickness is because we, we worry, well, what about that whole unanswered prayer thing? Like if I pray for them, what if God doesn't do what I'm asking him to do? Like I'm kind of signing a contract with someone in Jesus' name, and maybe it's not going to come true. What do we do with that? It, it, it robs our confidence. It shouldn't. See, the problem is we live in a world where a lot of people write books who shouldn't write books about Jesus. And there's some people who have talked about faith in this way. They've said, well, here's what the unanswered prayer thing is about. It's about the fact that God is somehow deficient. And you want to say, God is deficient? Well, yes, a terrible book back in the 80s. Some of you read it. It probably was not that comforting. Uh, Harold Kushner wrote a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And here's the problem. He was writing out of his pain, right? He was a rabbi writing out of his pain at the death of his son. And so he said, I have to choose between two things. Either God can be totally good or he can be totally sovereign, but he obviously can't be both. That was his conclusion. And so he chose the goodness of God. And so in his view, the reason why these things happen, unanswered prayers, are because God is really good and he wants to do things, but sometimes God just can't do those things he wants to do. That is not the biblical answer. And it is not a comfort in this world. The other option, though, is when we have people write books that make it sound like it's our deficiency that's the problem. You know, as if you got to get the right people praying in the right ways with the right formula. I've told the story before, but it's worth saying again. When pastors are playing sports against each other and y'all aren't around, we're very violent with each other. 
It's because we have to behave so well in front of all y'all that we, when we get alone, we're like, oh, we can really nail each other under the boards when we're playing hockey. And so a friend of mine who was a pastor had been playing hockey with a bunch of pastors, hurt his back. He was home lying on the couch. Some of you know the story. He's lying on his back. His wife is a nurse. Another pastor called and said, how's he doing? And she said, he's okay. He's on the couch. You know, I gave him an ice pack, gave him some ibuprofen. And, and he said, well, we need to pray. And she said, yes, we've been praying. And he said, but he's still laying on the couch in pain. And then he said, who prayed? <laughs> right? We get this, right? We get people to think it's all about us. Either God is deficient or we're somehow deficient. And that's not the answer. Here's the answer. And it's actually an Anglican answer because we put it right at the end of morning and evening prayer every day. The answer is that God always, always answers the prayers of his people. But he answers them as may be best for us. We pray that every, every time we do morning and evening prayer. Lord, we continue to give you all our prayers and supplications and then we surrender to your sovereign goodness and goodwill. We trust God in his wisdom to do what is best for us. We try and tell God what's best for us, but God truly knows what's best for us. And you may say, ah, you hit the cop-out. That's your cop-out. Pray like crazy, and then when God doesn't do what you want, you just say, well, I guess it wasn't his will. That's not a cop-out. That's the kingdom of God. Because here's the point in the text. All the amazing healings that go on here are not the point of the story. As much as Jesus makes blind men see and people who cannot walk stand up and walk, casts out demons and gives freedom, as much as he does these incredible things, including even raising Lazarus from the dead, these incredible miracles are not the main point of the story. They're pointing to something even greater than themselves. Jesus could not help but see the kingdom break out in the world wherever he went. And yes, people were temporarily healed, but it was temporary. Do you hear what I just said? It was partial. Every time Jesus healed someone, later on, they got sick again. Even raising Lazarus from the dead. Amazing. Guess what? That resurrection for Lazarus was partial. Later on, Lazarus' body broke down and he died. He's not here this morning, is he? No, Lazarus died eventually. Jesus' healings were temporal and partial because they were pointing to the main point, which is the deeper healing he has brought for us. Here's where our confidence comes. Whenever we pray in the face of sickness and suffering, we are praying that Jesus would bring about relief and healing that we can see in this life. Yes, we're hoping for it. But here's what we can know. That, that answer, that prayer may be answered the way we want it in this life, but surely will be answered in the life to come. That's the kingdom. Those who are sick and suffering, who do not know the bodily healing they pray for, who have died with the Lord, guess what? They know that bodily healing more than we could even ask or imagine now. Because God is in the business of making us right eternally. You see it in the text. You know, when he heals the mother-in-law, Mark is very careful how he writes the story. Listen carefully. When Jesus heals her and says he took her by the hand and raised her up, and you may say, okay, she was lying down, she had a fever, now she gets up. No, he took her by the hand. This shocked the disciples. Why? Because in the ancient Near East, you don't touch sick people. 
I know today we put on masks and we wash our hands and stuff. I'm not talking about that kind of distancing. I'm talking about you don't touch a sick person because in their worldview, the sickness will literally, by contact, go into the other person. Doctors in the ancient Near East would use sticks and instruments to not physically touch their patients because the worldview was if you touch the sick person, the sickness will enter your body. Jesus walks up, grabs her by the hand. Can you imagine the disciples? Shock. He's touching her. He's going to get the fever. The fever is going to leave her and enter him. And that's exactly what happened. He took her by the hand and the fever left her. And you say, what does this mean? It means he's living out the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our infirmities and taken our illnesses. Jesus' whole purpose in coming was the great transference, to take what is sick and suffering and sinful in you and I and transfer it into his own body so that when he goes to the cross, he takes everything that's been in us into himself. He bears the punishment for our sin on our behalf so that we now live in freedom and forgiveness. He dies the death we should have died. This is the great exchange. He took her by the hand. The illness left her and entered him. Yes, thanks be to God. This is what Jesus is always doing it's pointing to the deeper reality of the cross and then he raised her up and you say well yeah i mean he stood her up no no, no the word is anastasis in the greek it is used only again in chapter 16 when the angels in the empty tomb say of the empty tomb he is not here he has been raised up See, right here at the beginning of the story, Mark is pointing to the main point. These healings and miracles are not about temporary healing, as good as those things are. It's pointing to the ultimate healing, sin being conquered, death being overcome. This is the point of what Jesus has come for. Therefore, when we pray, we pray with confidence. Oh, Lord, heal this person. Bring relief. Bring rescue into each one of these situations. And we can pray it with confidence, knowing that he will answer that prayer. But he's going to do it as is best for us, sometimes in this life, but always in the life to come. That's where our confidence to pray comes. We know he's saying yes. It's just a timing question that's in his goodwill. You know, the late Tim Keller, the pastor of Redeemer, Presbyterian in New York, one of my heroes who died this last year, pancreatic cancer, his last words. His last words. There is no downside for me leaving. Not in the slightest. Those are his last words. His body riddled with cancer, so many people praying for him. He says, there's no downside in me leaving, not in the slightest. He could say it because he believed the words of St. Paul in Philippians chapter 1 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he always answers our prayers for healing. Sometimes it'll be in this life, always in the life to come. What can we do? as the church in the face of so much suffering and sickness. There's so much we can do. We can call upon Jesus, who brings in the kingdom into each place he enters, each life he enters. We can do so 
in the craziest of circumstances. What are you and I not praying for? And we can pray it with confidence. We can bring these concerns to Jesus with confidence, knowing that his answer will be yes. I will redeem. I will heal. Sometimes we will see it, and sometimes we will have to wait for the new heavens and the new earth. You know, as we come to communion every week, we talk about the communion of saints, that we're not worshiping alone here. We're worshiping with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. And you know what the glorious thing about that is? That though we cannot see them yet, we're already rehearsing together each and every week for what it will be to stand with all those who've gone before us, who know Jesus' healing yes now. That is our hope for them now, and that is our hope for us then. This is what we rehearse week after week, that Jesus has said yes to bring his kingdom into every life and every place in this world. There is much we can do. I close with these words from Joseph Scriven. You know, sometimes you hear hymn lyrics like this, and you think, wow, that guy had a really really super positive view of the world. No, he didn't. Joseph Scriven had an awful life. The man who wrote these lyrics lost two fiancés before they got married. He was engaged twice. Both his fiancés died before they were married. The man suffered severe depression most of his Christian adult life. And he, in the midst of his suffering and sickness, could write these words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sin and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. In the face of suffering and sickness, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.